Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. great to be able to uh, share this morning and uh, ha- I just want to reiterate happy Mother's Day to all the mothers in the room. Can- all the mums, can you give me a wave, just a very motherly wave, just-, just to cool me down for a minute. I saw a great definition of a mother. It's, um, it's the lady who tells you to put a sweater on when she feels cold. <laughs> but um, what I'd like to uh, share on this morning is, uh, we'll, we'll put the slide up in a second, but I want to focus on a word that's really important to God, and it's honor. Honor is really important to God. It matters to him. God is a God of honor. In the Godhead between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, honor is expressed perfectly and wonderfully and beautifully, and, and God wants to see honor in our lives, wants us to be people of honor, honorable men and women. If I was to ask you what you think the most repeated command is in the Bible, I wonder what you think it might be. You may already know this. But the command that's given to us most in the Bible, and what I've just said, my preamble, isn't meant to influence you because it's not that one. It's don't be afraid. Isn't that wonderful? The biggest command God gives us is to not fear. Because he's a God of peace, he's a God of love, he's a God of righteousness, perfect love casts out all fear. God's peace comes and it deals with any fear. But another very important command in the Bible that appears arguably maybe 10, 11, 12 times in the Bible is to honor your father and mother. So it's in Exodus, it's in Leviticus, it's in Deuteronomy, it's repeated again in Proverbs, and it comes not just into the old, from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Jesus states it, and Matthew records him saying it twice. Mark records him saying it twice. Luke records him saying it. And then Paul also repeats it in Ephesians 6, verse 2, to honor your father and your mother. And uh, in the Old Testament, the word used to honor, when it talks about honoring your father and mother, is the word kabad. Okay? I don't, probably said that wrong. But the Hebrew word is kabad, or something like that. And it means this. It means weighty. It means heavy. It means burdensome. Now, I don't know what words you've written in your Mother's Day card, but I hope you've not included words like weighty, heavy, or burdensome. (laughs) But it actually means rich. Something that is rich and weighty. And and, and what that means is who they are, what they say, carries much weight. And then in the New Testament, the word is timeo. It's the equivalent of the Old Testament word in the Greek. And it means to value, to revere, to venerate, to have great price, great value, great significance. And so that's the sort of way that we're to see and view our parents, to see and view one another. But then that commandment to honor our father and mother, and as it's Mother's Day, to focus particularly on mums, that we should be those who honor our mothers. And uh, I want to look at the life of a lady who honored her mother wonderfully. And that lady is a lady called Ruth. Okay? 
It's a wonderful, wonderful story in our Bibles. If you, if you open your Bibles up and you, you skip past the first five books of the, book, of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all of those books really are about God calling and gathering together his people. And then the book of Joshua essentially describes God's people moving out of Egyptian slavery. They've got their identity They've got, they're following God, they've received the law, they've received the covenants, and God wants to establish them as his people in a land of blessing. It's the word that Cindy brought this morning. It was to be a land flowing with milk and honey. And that didn't mean it had milky waterfalls and honey-like springs. It just meant that it was rich and it was pleasant and it was green and cattle could feed there and bees could buzz there and make their honey and cows could flourish and make wonderful milk and brilliant beef burgers. And God was bringing them into a place of blessing. And the book of Joshua is a description of God taking his people across the Jordan and into the promised land. And everything's going pretty well. And then you get to the book of Judges. And as you continue to read through the book of Judges, things are going pretty badly. And there's this downward spiral into sin into crimes that are obscene, into immorality. They're moving away from God's will and God's desire and what God wants for them and God's best. And it says this on a number of occasions in the book of Judges. There was no king in the land and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Sounds familiar? I get to do what I want to do. If I think it's okay, then you've got to allow me to do what I think is right. And what happens in that? Well, just read the book of Judges. It gets very, very dark, very, very quickly. And by the time you get to the end of the book of Judges, you're like, I'm depressed now. Started off so well, so much potential, and then this huge anticlimax. And there's some stuff in there I don't want to read again because it's so dark and so sinister and so immoral and wrong. And much of that takes place around a town called Bethlehem. Does that sound familiar? But the end of the book of Judges finishes in a few stories in and around Benjamin and, a, and, and a, uh, Bethlehem, sorry, and has an issue with a particular tribe called the Benjaminites, who were a tribe that lived near to Bethlehem. And then you turn, desperate for some light relief, to the book of Ruth, and boy, do you get it. Yeah. If you finish Judges with, oh, then you read the first chapter of Ruth, and you're like, oh. And then the second chapter, you're like, Oh, and the third chapter, oh, and then the fourth chapter, oh, (laughs) and instead of a downward spiral, you see an upward trajectory, the way that God's called us to live, glory to glory, history not repeating itself, making the same mistakes over and over again, but going from glory to glory, and that's how Ruth is, is written and structured, and it's a wonderful book. And it tells us that this story takes place in the days when the judges ruled in Israel. In a time of great darkness, great immorality, great unfaithfulness, great dishonor, comes the story of this wonderful Moabite lady who is full of faithfulness, full of graciousness, and full of honor. And so we're going to listen to the story. Does anybody like audiobooks? Anybody like me, a really lazy reader? If you send me an email more than three lines wrong, I'm going to start glazing. I'm terrible. Unlike Christopher Alton, who is like, oh my word, that man can read an email and then some. But that's why I love working with him. <laughs> Covers my back. But um, 
that what I'd like us to do is listen to the story of Ruth rather than me read it. So it's four chapters. It's a short story. It's going to be played on the loudspeakers using the New Living Translation dramatized version, okay? So get ready for some American accents. All right, they weren't American. No, Ruth was a Moabite. She was Welsh. I'm not sure. <laughs> so we're going to listen to this. It's about 14 minutes long. And then there's six things I would just like us to consider together based out of this wonderful story. So Adam, are you ready to pr- press play? Are you okay? You can follow any New Living Translation or just listen. Thank you. The Book of Ruth, Chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a man from Bethlehem in Judah left the country because of a severe famine. He took his wife and two sons and went to live in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. During their stay in Moab, Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malan and Kilian died. This left Naomi alone, without her husband or sons. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes instead of coming with me. And may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said. We want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, Why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who would grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters. Return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has caused me to suffer. And again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth insisted on staying with Naomi. See? Naomi said to her. Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. I will go wherever you go and live wherever you live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. I will die where you die, and will be buried there. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. So when Naomi saw that Ruth had made up her mind to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was stirred by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? the women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why should you call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer? 
and the Almighty has sent such tragedy. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Chapter 2 Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day Ruth said to Naomi, Let me go out into the fields to gather leftover grain behind anyone who will let me do it. And Naomi said, All right, my daughter. Go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, Who is that girl over there? And the foreman replied, She is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She's been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes' rest over there in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter. Stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to bother you. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. Why are you being so kind to me? She asked. I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about the love and kindness you have shown your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully. I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not as worthy as your workers. At lunchtime, Boaz called to her, Come over here and help yourself to some of our food. You can dip your bread in the wine if you like. So she sat with his harvesters, and Boaz gave her food, more than she could eat. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, Let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her, and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. So Ruth gathered barley there all day, and when she beat out the grain that evening, it came to about half a bushel. She carried it back into town and showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the food that was left over from her lunch. So much, Naomi exclaimed. Where did you gather all this grain today? Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked, and she said, The man I worked with today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us, as well as to your dead husband, That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Then Ruth said, What's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. This is wonderful, Naomi exclaimed. Do as he said. Stay with his workers right through the whole harvest. You will be safe there, unlike in other fields. 
So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's fields and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she worked with them through the wheat harvest, too. But all the while she lived with her mother-in-law. Chapter 3 One day Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his workers. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished his meal. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished his meal and was in good spirits, he lay down beside the heap of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he demanded. I am your servant Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing more family loyalty now than ever by not running after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now, don't worry about a thing. My daughter, I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are an honorable woman. But there is one problem. While it is true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you, then let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will marry you. Now, lie down here until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning. But she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz said, No one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Boaz also said to her, Bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured out six scoops of barley into the cloak and helped her put it on her back. Then Boaz returned to the town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, What happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her, and she added, He gave me these six scoops of barley and said, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has followed through on this. He will settle it today. Chapter 4 So Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. When the family redeemer he had mentioned came by, Boaz called out to him, Come over here, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi, who came back from Moab. She's selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I felt that I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away, because I am next in line to redeem it after you. 
The man replied, All right, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz told him, Of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. In those days, it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, You buy the land. Then Boaz said to the leaders and to the crowd standing around, You are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. Then the leaders and all the people standing there replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is now coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nations of Israel descended. May you be great in Ephrata and famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. So Boaz married Ruth and took her home to live with him. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. And the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has given you a family redeemer today. May he be famous in Israel. May this child restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you so much and who has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took care of the baby and cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, Now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. This is their family line beginning with their ancestor Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab. Amminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Solomon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. There you go. What a lovely story. With some strange parts to it for a, you know, from a kind of a, a modern Western way of thinking. But there was a wonderful honoring that takes place in this book. And I want to talk about what honor is and how we see these six things in the book of Ruth. And the first thing I want to say, that honor is making and keeping covenant. Making and keeping covenant. You know, when, uh, when Ruth married Marlon, Naomi's son, a covenant took place, not just between Ruth and Marlon, but between Ruth and Naomi. And there's something wonderful about it. You know, there's a point where we, we have this tragedy. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. Marlon, Ruth's husband, dies. Kilion, Orpah's husband, dies. And these three women are left. And in those days, no husband, no male offspring meant you had nothing. You had no possessions. You had no rights to any land or any property or anything. And the time has come for Naomi to return from Moab back to the land because she knows that the, the famine has lifted. 
And there's this whole principle of her saying to Orpah and to Ruth, it's bad for me. In fact, I'm changing my name from Naomi, which means pleasant, to Mara, which means bitter. Because she felt that God had turned against her. And finally, Orpah is dissuaded and Orpah is, is reluctantly initially leaves and she leaves the story. But what do we see Ruth's response to be? She says, I'll go where you go. I'll live where you live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God until death parts us. Does that ring any bells? She makes a covenant with Naomi and she keeps a covenant. And guess what? Naomi essentially had nothing to offer Ruth in return. She had no pension policy that was outstanding in Bethlehem that she could cash in. She had no inheritance. She had no land. There was no natural reason why Ruth would find any benefit from being part of of Naomi's family or joining herself to her. But something had happened. There was a joining of heart. And that meant I'm with you through thick and thin. And honor is about that. It's about making covenants. But the bigger challenge is keeping covenants during times of hardship and times of difficulty. And we see that in this story There was nothing that Naomi could offer her, but Ruth was determined, I've made a covenant with you. Therefore, where you go, I go. I'm willing to put you first. I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to work. I'm willing to share what I have with you. I'm willing to stand with you. I'm willing to walk with you through tough times. I'm willing to stay with you even when you try to push me away. Because that's when Naomi, you're done. Go. I'm going to be no good to you. Go and find your own husbands. Go and, and she has this kind of absurd description of even if I was pregnant now with a boy, you'd have to wait 18 more years. You're not going to wait for that, are you? But Ruth made and kept covenant. And for us to be people of honor means that we make and we keep covenants in the same way that Ruth did. And that means that we keep our covenants even when seemingly nothing comes the other way. Isn't that the covenant that God made with us? He had everything. We had nothing. That's what Simon was describing this morning. And yet he chose through the blood of Jesus Christ to make a covenant with us and to bring us into that new covenant. Secondly, it means to obey willingly. I love the way then that Ruth is there to support. Ruth is there to care. But she still goes to Naomi and asks permission to do things. Even going to glean from the fields. Is it okay if I go? Is it okay if I go and and, and glean from these fields? She reports back to Naomi regularly about everything that's been going on. And then you get to chapter 3, and Naomi really now tells Ruth what to do next. She's right, right, love, it's time you got married. This Boaz sounds like a keeper. I want you to take a bath, okay? I want you to put perfume on. I want you to put your finest clothes on. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Then I want you to follow him around at the party. Watch him eating and drinking. Okay, it's getting a bit weird now. Sound like a stalker. And then when he finds somewhere to lie down, yeah. Then I want you to go and lie at his feet. Okay. Has anybody done that in the dating scene ever? I hope not. And you know, for a Moabite woman to listen to what Naomi is describing and how she essentially pursues and makes herself available to Boaz would have made no sense to Naomi as a Moabite, but made a lot of sense to Boaz and to Naomi as Israelites. And yet she was willing to obey, even though she probably didn't fully understand. You know, far too often we want to understand before we obey. But actually, sometimes obedience leads to understanding. 
Same in the Word of God. God says to do something. I say, Lord, I don't fully understand that. He says, just do it. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. And as a result, you'll begin to understand. And I'm sure Ruth understood exactly what was going on in the early hours of the morning when Boaz wakes up and says, who's that? My feet are surprisingly warm. And it's Ruth. And at that point, he essentially proposes to her. He understands what's happening. And she's the, the beginning of the promise and this, this new covenant that she's about to be brought into, which is a, a wonderful new covenant for her and her mother-in-law, is, is begun because of her obedience. And I say to you today, if you're not a Christian here, you've never asked Jesus to be your king, to be your Lord. You know, he died for you. That's what we've heard about this morning. He, he loves you. He's alive. He rose again. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He's alive. That's what Easter celebrates in a couple of weeks' time. But he wants you to follow him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to obey him. And he loves you. And it's the best thing that you'll ever do. When we became Christians, we didn't understand everything. We just knew this. I need Jesus. I need to start to follow him and obey him. And guess what happens? As we do, he begins to reveal to us what this is all about. And he brings us into great blessing. If you're here today and you've not done that, I would love to pray with you at the end. Love leads to obedience. And God says to us in the Bible, in, in Isaiah 29, 13, in Matthew 15, 18, Jesus repeats it. says this, They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What's he saying? It's all lip service. It's all chat. But if we obey, it shows we honor him. If we're willing to obey our mother, willing to obey our father, if we're willing to obey those that God has put in spiritual authority over our lives, it shows that we honor them and there's blessing for us in that tells us that in Hebrews, obey your spiritual leaders. It's for your benefit if you do that. So it means to make and keep a covenant. It means to be obedient and willingly obey, to honor. Also means this, it means to take responsibility for yourself. You know, Ruth really took responsibility. Took responsibility of her attitude, her words, her thoughts, her actions. She took the initiative. She took the responsibility. And honor will do that. When we honor others, we'll take responsibility for ourselves. Who's the only person, who's the only heart that you have any control over? Your own. Whose actions and words and deeds and thoughts is the only person that you can have any control or sway over? It's me. And God wants us to submit and surrender our heart, our thoughts, our actions, everything to him so that we can think in the way that he thinks. We can feel the way that he feels. We can act in the way that he acts. We can speak in the way that he speaks. That's exactly what Jesus did. He was obedient to the Father. He took responsibility by surrendering himself to the Father. And Ruth takes responsibility for herself and then she takes responsibility for Naomi to support her and care for her and to look after her. And initially, this started in a day-to-day, hand-to-mouth kind of way. And I would imagine, I can imagine, Ruth was willing to think, if this is it, this is what I'm going to do. I've made a covenant, I'm obeying my mother, and I'm taking responsibility, and I'm going to keep working, I'm going to keep serving, hand-to-mouth, day-to-day. But isn't it wonderful? There's a phrase in, in the second chapter, it says, and it just so happened that Ruth went to work in Boaz's field. And it just so happened that Boaz was a Limelech. He was a close relative of Elimelech. And it just so happened that Elimelech was married to Naomi, who just so happened to be Ruth's mother-in-law. Oh, what are the chances? 
You know, there's something wonderful. As we take responsibility for ourselves, God will engineer the rest. We see that in Ruth's life. We see that in Boaz's life. They take responsibility for their own actions, but they don't try and work it for themselves or find their own angle. I'm taking responsibility for me. I'm just going to be faithful. And as she walked to that field, I don't know how God did it, but I just think he said, don't go, that, don't go, don't go to that field. doesn't look right. The Holy Spirit. No, not that one, Ruth. That's the field. In she walks, the field of Boaz. God takes responsibility for his actions when we take responsibility for our actions. That's how we honor one another. That's how we honor him. There's no just so happened, you know. Everything, God has a plan and a purpose for us. She took responsibility. To honor is also this. It's to humble ourselves. It's about humbling ourselves. You know, this job would have been very demeaning, very demoralizing. She took on the job of the lowest of the low. To glean in a harvest field was essentially people would pass those fields and all those who were gleaning were the poorest, the neediest, the the most regarded as worthless in society. Don't we often view sometimes people that have little, we look upon as little? That's a worldly way of thinking. We must never do that. Just because somebody isn't dressed well or their home isn't great or they don't have much, please let's never see them and value them in that way. God loves them. He's passionate for them. He loves them dearly. But there's something wonderful. In, in, in honor, we will be willing to humble ourselves. It means that we'll think of others as more important than ourselves. Right. I remember when Chris shared a few months ago, and he, he shared that point. He said, we're to think and consider as others of more importance than ourselves. And then he asked the question, are they more important than you? No. We're equal. We're all of the same equal value and preciousness to God. But the way that I view myself, I regard you as more important in the way that I act towards you. I humble myself and I honor you. To be humble is not to think less of yourself, it's to think of yourself less. And she was willing to think of herself less, put her mother-in-law first, do the hard back-breaking work, do the humiliating work, willing to deal with and pick up the small things that were just being dropped by the other uh, people who worked in the fields in a job that potentially could have been very hazardous for a young lady. It's sort of skimmed over in this version, but the threat of her being attacked physically or sexually by other workers was very high. It was a high-risk place. Now, I'm not saying we're reckless in humbling ourselves, but there's something that Ruth did in humbling herself in this way where she was totally putting her trust in God and putting her mother-in-law first. Here's the next thing about honor. When honor is expressed, it's evident to others. It's really evident to others. People see it. You know, she was seen to be a lady who was different. She had put herself in a place of reliance and a place of poverty to help her mother-in-law. And she's become a little bit of a local legend because everybody knew about this Ruth girl. So when Boaz turns up into the field and he asks his young men or the foreman, who's this lady, who's this woman who's working in the field? He says, oh, that's that Moabite girl who left her family and came so that she could support and look after her mother-in-law, Naomi. And later on, it seems like in, in, in chapter 3, verse 11, now Boaz has, has spoken with her and clearly there's this growing relationship between these, these two individuals in the story. And in chapter 3, verse 11, Boaz says this, and now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary. Listen to this. 
For everyone in town knows you're a virtuous woman. Isn't that a great testament? Everyone in town knows you're a virtuous woman. And that's the same word virtuous that's used in Proverbs 31 verse 10, a woman of noble character. He's saying everybody knows the virtue that you have. Everybody knows you're a woman of honor. Leave the rest up to me. I'm going to take care of things. I love what Naomi says. He's not going to rest until he gets this sorted. He's going to get it done today. People knew about her. This foreigner who'd given up her land, given up her friends, given up personal gain to honor her mother, her adopted mother. And there's this wonderful picture of of evidence that we see. She was consistently faithful and honoring even when her mother had changed from being pleasant to bitter, she stuck with her. And the evidence of her commitment was there. Even when Orpah, her sister-in-law and her friend had left, she stayed. And even in a time and a culture when everyone was out for themselves, everybody did what was right in their own eyes, this young woman honored her mother and stuck with her. She was countercultural. Honor is countercultural. Because the culture says this, do what you feel like, do what's good for you, tailor it to your needs and your wants, because you're worth it. You're just worth it. You're the king of your world. Do what you want. And yet here's Ruth submitting her life to honor her mother-in-law, willing to make and keep covenant, willing to obey her. That's a big one, isn't it? Obedience. Make your own choices. Do what you want to do. No, God says obey my word. Take responsibility and work hard. Look after yourself in your own heart. Don't say, but they did this and they did that and they said this and they said that. You're responsible for you. Humble ourselves. And that will become evident to everyone around us because it is countercultural. It was then, it is now. And here's the last point that's wonderful. That when we honor, it's rewarded with blessing. Rewarded with blessing. You know, in, in this command, if you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 6 verse 2, to honor your father and mother, the, the command that I mentioned at the beginning and that word honor. And Paul writes, and he's dealing with husbands and wives and he's dealing with workers and, and bosses and he's, he's dealing with children and parents. But in Ephesians 6, verses 2 and 3, he repeats this statement that was given 1,500 years earlier to Moses. Somewhere in the wilderness, well, on top of Mount Sinai, that's where it was, it wasn't somewhere in the wilderness. And this instruction is this, what? Honor your father and mother. And then he goes on to say, and this is the first command with a promise. Oh, okay. If you honor your father and mother... This is how it's worded in the New Living Translation. Things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on earth. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That's blessing. I'm glad he says things will go well for you before you have the long life, because if you had a long life and things sucked, that wouldn't be any good, would it? But things will go well for you, and you'll have a long life on earth. And we see this exhibited in this tiny little picture, this snapshot of the life of of one lady in in the way that she honored her adopted mother that she sees and receives blessing. And it happens incrementally. Initially, she's blessed because God leads her to the right field and she starts to pick up tiny bits of grain. And then Boaz spots her and Boaz says what? You can have water from my well and boys, ladies, drop some nice big heads of barley for her to pick up. And then he says to Ruth, come and have lunch with us. So much lunch, she can't finish it. I mean, this was a properly good buffet. And interestingly, bread and wine is in the mix. Did you spot that? 
There's a covenant meal right at the center of that. He brought her into a place of covenant. Boaz is a type of Christ. He's a picture of Jesus Christ. And he blesses her. And then he says, now you can work shoulder to shoulder with those who are collecting the barley. This is getting good, isn't it? And then all of a sudden, at the end of the barley harvest, there's a whole wheat field she didn't even know about that she's now entitled to work in. And then she receives him as her husband. And and we just see this incremental blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing as she just continues to honor and honor and honor and honor. Blessing. And not only was she blessed with a lot of barley and a lot of wheat and a lot of good snacks and fresh water from the well, she was blessed with a man who was just like her to be her husband. Boaz was a man of honor. He wanted to do things right. You know what? He was faithful in allowing the poor and the needy to come into his fields to glean in the first place. That was a provision of God in the word to those who were in need. He was a man of honor. He'd seen them and he was ensured that, that he, um, all those who worked in his field were looked after and treated properly. Nobody was treated harshly and particularly favor for Ruth. When it comes to an opportunity to marry this clearly virtuous and I'm sure beautiful young woman, he allows the right thing to be done before the whole town. He gets 10 witnesses to come. He allows the person who's more entitled to receive Ruth as his wife to have the option to do it. And yet, once that's turned down, then he's immediately there to take her as a, as a husband. Isn't that a blessed thing? And then more than that, they're blessed with a baby boy. Little baby Obed. Any baby Obeds around? Don't hear baby Obed. You should say it, sounds good, it feels good. Say baby Obed, baby Obed. Probably helps if, I'm not going to say it again. But he gave her an inheritance. And I love the contrast between chapter one and chapter four when you look at Naomi. You know, Naomi at the end of chapter one is completely lost, she's bereft. All hope is gone. Her husband is dead. Her two sons are gone. She thought God had turned against her. Well, he hadn't turned against her. And I just want to say, whatever challenges or difficulties, however hard things might be, we go through some really challenging situations and circumstances where it may feel like God has abandoned us or left us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Carrie said a few weeks ago, God is always good. And the goodness of God is evident in this story. He placed alongside her a faithful woman, a woman of honor, Ruth who stood with her and walked with her. And at the end of the story, Naomi is holding a baby, baby Obed. And this baby is almost regarded, she sees it as her own son. This is her baby boy. This is her inheritance. This is her blessing. Isn't that wonderful? That we see Ruth is blessed. Boaz is blessed. Naomi is blessed. But guess what? That blessing went far outside of that little family unit. Because then there's this wonderful genealogy that we see at the end. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. And then all of a sudden you think, wow, what happened in this little story has repercussions for the entire universe. It wasn't just that family. It wasn't just that town. It wasn't just that nation. It wasn't even just the world. The whole universe, because from that line came Jesus Christ. And you jump into Matthew and you read Matthew's genealogy and guess whose name is, is, is included in this incredible new genealogy of the Son of God himself? It's only Ruth. Little old Ruth. Girl from Moab who chose to be a woman of honor, to honor her adopted mother 
to walk with her. What a blessing. Not just for her, not just for Naomi, not just for Boaz, not just for the nation, but for the whole world. Do we see how significant honor is to God? How important it is to Him? It's an amazing story. You know, there's so much in Ruth, there's, there's so much imagery about Elimelech sort of representing the nation of Israel and, and his two sons, Judah, uh, two sons representing Judah and Israel, two, the two kingdoms that split and how they died in the wilderness as they rejected God and how then Ruth comes and is called and represents the church. And this woman who was outside of the promises and the covenant of God is brought into God's covenant. And the lady whose blood was never going to fulfill her being part of God's family, the blood of Boaz, brings her into the new covenant, brings her into covenant, into a place of blessing that transforms history. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.